Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And today I have the one, the only, Mr. Jerry Eisenhower on the show. So stay with us. You're going to want to hear this guy's story. Let me bring Jerry on. Jerry, welcome to the show. Good morning, Ken. And how are you doing today? Are we ready to rock the house today, brother? We're just going to have a conversation and have some fun, man. That's it. That's what it, that's what life's all about, brother. If, if if we rock the house along the way, then so be it. I hear you, man. And you got a nice house to rock. There you go. Hey, appreciate you could come by you and Jill to business the other week when you were in Charlotte. That was uh, that was a, a great pleasure to stop by and see you. So we have Scott Ricard on the show and Lynn Serrano. So so Jerry, it's been uh, just shy of three years ago that I started this show, and you know it's it was literally to give back to the world and help people have a breakthrough in life and, and get unstuck. And I don't know if you've ever been stuck in life or not. <laughs> been pretty well stuck deep in the hole, Ken, deep in the hole. Yeah. So uh, let's start with telling everybody where you were born and raised. Okay. I'm born in Concord, North Carolina. That is pronounced Con Concord, not Concord, like they say it from in Massachusetts up north, which is a small cotton mill town very near Charlotte, North Carolina. So that's where I was born, raised, and where I still live today, Ken. So you're in the same town you were raised in? In the same town I was raised in. There was wow. one point back about uh, 40 years ago that I was working in the print business that time. So I was working at a shop in Charlotte. So myself and my first wife and the kids I had at that point, we moved to Charlotte for a year because I wanted to see if I liked it and I didn't. So I moved right back here and I've actually lived within probably a half a mile of where I'm sitting right now. My entire life grew up right up the street now. Wow. So, Hey, let me ask you this. Did you share this out? Yes, I did. You did? Yes, sir. Of course I did. <laughs> Man, you rock, dude. So, so, um, so you're in the same town now. What what was it like growing up in in um, Concord? You said Concord. That's Concord. correct. Not Concord. It is Concord when Concord. you're in the south. What was it like for you growing up down there in North Carolina? North Carolina. Well, I, can't even, I can't say it like you do. <laughs> yeah. Well, like I said, it is a small, or it was at that time, it was a small Southern sleepy town. Actually, the heritage of this area was the first gold that was discovered in America right down the road here about five miles. So the town I'm in was actually settled in the mid 19th century when they discovered gold. And we probably have 25, 30 gold mines underneath streets and right now there's a lot of gold mines. They're not active any longer because mining gold is not really easy. <clears throat> so then it became a textile center. 
If you've ever heard of Cannon Towels, they were based here many years ago, and that was Mr. Charlie Cannon. Everybody called him Mr. Charlie. So at being raised, my grandmother, she went to work in the cotton mill when she was 12 years old, which was very common in those days. That was before my time of child labor. So grew wow. up in a small, sleepy Southern town that has now grew very large. We've got over a hundred thousand people in town now. That's not very large. That's not very large. At that time <laughs> we had about 9,000 at, one, at oh. the time when I was growing up. Oh, okay. Well, that's very large then compared to that. Yes, sir. <clears throat> but not compared to Atlanta or some. But now, so Charlotte, Charlotte's a very big metropolitan area. So Charlotte, we are a suburb of Charlotte. Charlotte yeah. has a lot of urban sprawl, that kind of stuff. A lot of people move to the suburbs, will move here and still work in Charlotte today. Charlotte is a pretty good hike from where you are. It's about, if you know how to go, it's about 25 minutes. If you're not familiar oh. with the area, then you may get a little bit further, but the Charlotte city limits and the Concord city limits actually touch. So, you know, I'm oh. on the other side of town, but I can be at Charlotte airport in about 35 minutes. Oh, wow. Yeah. For some reason, I thought you were going to be like 15 minutes from where I was and it wasn't, it was about 35, I think. But but Ken, it was worth the trip. Okay? It was worth the trip. It was worth the trip. I got to see your castle. That's it. That's our <laughs> humble abode here, Ken. It's just a you're humble, humble. very humble. Yes, very humble. It you know that's what I I love about you is is um you are a very humble man and 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 you know I have have been witness to what you've um you've built. And you've built one heck of a business, but we're going to get into that here in a little bit. So, so talk about, so you went to, went to school and high school there in Concord. Did you end up going to college? No, I went to college for about two months, Ken. And I was actually working in the printing business at that point. And I was an offset pressman. But as I went through and I went to school and it was for architectural design. But what I found out was most people that got an architectural degree only worked as a draftsman. And I was better off staying in the printing business that I didn't have to go through school or anything. So I spent quite a few years in the printing business. My job description was I was an offset pressman and ran a printing press. What is it? What? So that's a, that, is that like a, a skilled, like, a, is that like something you need a formal education for? No, you don't need a formal education. It's like most of the trades. You don't need a formal education. You're going to be trained on the job. When I was in high school, we had, an, we had what was called an ICT program. And ICT is industrial cooperative training. So when I was in the 11th grade, I went into ICT, which meant you went to school for half a day. And then they found you a job in a factory or some type of industrial setting. And the guy that was the teacher said, I've got something for you in the printing business. Had no idea that I would go in the printing business and be in it for quite a few years till I decided to leave and become self-employed some years later. So you how so how many years were you in that then? I was in the printing business about 14 years when I left that wow. and decided to eke out my own existence in life and become self-employed because I was really <laughs> never intended to work for other people. So so you 
that would have been what in your mid thirties then probably. Well, I went to work in the printing business. I was 16 years old. So oh. I went to work. So when I say the 14 years, that was including two years that I was still in high school. So I wow. left there, I left that industry when I was about 30 years old and today I'm in my late sixties. So, so you left there and did what you said you became self-employed. Is that what, did you start your own printing company? No, at that point, I read an I read an article in a mother news magazine, and it said become a chimney sweep. So I sent off for the information, and it was on sale right then. So for fourteen ninety five, I ordered from a company called August West my chimney sweeping tools and equipment, and I opened up a chimney sweeping business here in Concord. And I was still working in the printing business for about nine months when I decided, hey. I can make a living doing this and I'm not happy working for other people. So that's when I entered the world of self-employment. So you became a chimney sweep. Became a chimney sweep. Yes, sir. Became a chimney sweep, top hat, the whole nine yards back in those days. So yes, became a chimney sweep from that point and stayed in the chimney sweep business until 2010 when I wait, started. Wait, 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 back up. You wore a, you wore a top hat. I've got two top hats, Ken. I've got the original top hat and then I got another one, but I actually didn't wear a lot of top hats. It really was not my style. So I didn't wear a lot of top hats, but yeah, that's what everybody wanted to know in those days. Where is your top hat? It was just a marketing. It was a marketing thing many years ago that chimney sweeps, we wore top hats and tails, just like you would imagine from the different you know movies and stories that you read about chimney sweeps. So that that's, that's straight out of Mary Poppins. Madam Mary Poppins, if you look at Mary Poppins, actually Dick Van Dyke did not wear a top hat. Dick Van Dyke wore a slouch type hat. Yeah. And see, that's the thing about it. The uniforms of chimney sweeps in different countries varies by the country that you're in. The top hat and tails is more of an American thing because actually uh, the chimney masters, they would get their clothes, believe it or not, from the undertaker was where a lot of chimney sweeps got their clothes. So that's what they were wearing out. And there's, like I said, it's a big history of chimney sweep, wow. climbing boys, different things in that industry. It goes back. Uh, chimney sweeping is a very big thing in many parts of the world. So, so, um, so you went, you, you went into the chimney sweep business. I mean, that makes sense printing and then. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't know how that would make sense. It just, you know, it was a business I could enter into for a grand investment of fourteen ninety five to get all the tooling and equipment that I needed. And it looked like something that could really go. Now, this was in the early 80s. It was when the energy crisis had just went on and wood stoves were making a resurgence in the United States. So, so but OK, what year was this? Okay, would that been, would have been in 1981. So that okay. was 40 years ago today. So don't remind me of how old I am. Um, so, 19, well, 1981, let's see, I was um, a freshman in high school. Yeah. <laughs> or no, I was in eighth grade. You were in eighth, eighth grade. grade. Oh, my gosh. So, so in, in, um, and, and Ben Wallace is on here. Uh, he literally just sent me a text message. That's why I was distracted. I'm like, come on, man. So, so, um, so you went into the chimney sweep business, you ordered all these tools, but 
did they like you couldn't have watched YouTube videos? No, there wasn't any. You, I got this little bitty thin manual, and it really didn't tell me a whole lot. Are but you serious? Got, huh? You're serious? Oh yeah, I'm very serious. It told me how to open up a yellow page. Yeah, it was about this thick. I've got it upstairs. It may have thirty pages in it today. Yes. To teaching you how to do do chimney sweep stuff. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's exactly I. And, and it was everything you needed to know. It, well, it was everything <laughs> we thought we needed to know, but it wasn't everything we needed to know. Believe it. <laughs> I can't. I can't even imagine. So, did you? Did you? Did you have like an apprenticeship, or you just like read this manual and went, "All yeah. right, I'm gonna start cleaning I some just, chimneys." I just read, I got the tools, I got the equipment, I got the manual, I read a newspaper ad, and I was unleashed on the population of the local market area. Yes, sir. Oh, my God. Oh, dear Lord. All right. So, so here you are, you're, you're official, you're, you're, a, you're a chimney sweep, and you're wreaking havoc on people's chimneys. <laughs> in the greater Charlotte area. So how did it go? Like you started, okay. so you, you got started in 81 and, and how did it go? It went good. We started building the company and started adding people. Um, when I stopped chimney sweeping, I had almost 40 people employed in the company. Uh, and then we'll go through the story of why all that happened. But when I got into it, I started going to association meetings, found out there were certifications that I could get. And I started going through a lot of training and going to classes, getting different certifications. And from that point, I also got became very involved with trade associations, both in the state and the national level. And around 1984, 1985, I actually started doing training for associations and for companies uh, across America. And I was doing a lot of training in this. When I became the president of the Chimney Sweep Guild, I was also gone to. I also went to Europe every year and spent two weeks with the, what was called the Eshfo Group. And Eshfo was a meeting once a year of the chimney masters, uh, the presence of their associations from across Europe. So I was actually able, Ken, at this point in time, I've actually studied chimneys and been to chimney sweep schools in uh europe in over 17 countries at this point and dude so, yes seriously no yes Ken, so, so, I'm not so wait, this up. wait wait so this is a big deal then a i mean I, big deal. I would have never thought in a million years that there's like there did you say the national chimney sweep guild Yes, the National Chimney Sweep Guild, which I was president of for six years, is a trade association of chimney sweeps in the United States. So as president, I went to the European Federation and I actually got to meet many. Uh, see, in the European countries, chimney sweeping is regulated in most countries by the government. You don't just decide you're going to call a chimney sweep. It is part of the law that you are required to chimney sweep to come to your home so many times a year and do different things to check your heating systems for safety performance, for emission standards, and other things. Wow. So, so you were like you were climbing up on on rooftops and all that like you you got when you got started in 81 
before you were president of the National Association and all that, you you were you were climbing up on people's roofs and 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 cleaning wrecking the habit wrecking habit. I had no idea what I was doing, Ken. Okay. Wow. Seen Doug Wing's on right there. He said the little giant sold a lot of letters at the chimney sweep show every year. So <laughs> Doug Wing knows about it. Doug's gonna be on my show in a couple weeks talking about ladders and chimney safety. As far as ladder safety, he's gonna be a guest of mine. Doug is one of my best friends in the world. So so okay. So I, I here's here's the thing. I didn't know that this was such a big industry. Honestly, if somebody would have said how many chimney sweeps you think there are in the United States, I would have said, I don't one for every state. <laughs> I yeah. don't know. No, you can. I have clients that I work with in today's world that may run 15, 20 trucks in a market area. It's a Jeez. very, very big business, uh, many different types because it's actually much more than chimney sweeping, it's actually chimney service that we do, uh, the people that we in the industry do a lot more than just sweep chimneys, okay? They're doing safety inspections, they're doing performance evaluations, they're doing designs, those type of things, inventing systems for safety and for performance. So mine, it just blows my mind, dude. So, so you are, so in 1981, you get started in this, you're climbing up and you're, you're, I keep saying you're climbing up on roofs because I've seen Mary Poppins a lot. Um, but I'm sure you're doing work from inside the Actually, plate. this may surprise you. The majority of chimneys can be cleaned without ever going on the roof with the different tooling we've designed. We have a lot of rotary design tools that we can actually sweep most chimneys bottom. In fact, it's a big thing now because of uh, safety standards going on roofs. Now you're having to do, do fall protection and other things is now required yeah. if you're going to be on roofs and have your workers on roofs. So, so, but okay. But like I've experienced, um, let's just say animals Mm -hmm. of various kinds they love to get in chimneys for some yes, sir not only reason. that there's all kinds of things like just the other day and it's amazing how many people get stuck in chimneys every year in fact there was just a news story come out what? the other day that a guy yeah there's kids that get stuck in chimneys they'll try to come in the house people are stuck in chimneys often from trying to rob the house and enter in fact earlier this week a guy that was had just uh, committed a murder. Actually, they found him hiding in a chimney down the street, Ken. He climbed up on somebody's roof and went down their chimney. Yes, sir. And that's where they found him. That's where the police found him in the chimney. And every year it's like I've, I've had, you know, I've had people that have their kids got locked out of the house and they figured that was a good way to get in the house. And a lot of times you'll see news stories of some kid has tried to get in the house and all that kind of stuff. That is wow. Okay. So, um, that blows you just, I'm just blowing your mind today with this I, one. Aren't I? Well, I'm just, it, it, yeah. Like what I would, I would never like think to hide in a chimney. <laughs> like well, I, just, I wouldn't either just to be honest with you. Okay. I'm kind <laughs> yeah. of a big guy. So the problem is a lot of people can get in at, at the top, but they may narrow down or offsets. 
So a lot of times you'll find them stuck. If you Google man stuck in chimney or child stuck in chimney, you might be surprised how many news stories are out there because it seems like about every two or three months, there's another one hit the news media because my Google locators tell me every news story that comes out about chimneys. So every morning I get all these news uh, things that came out. So just the other day, I got the one about the guy that was uh, wanted for murder, finding him in the chimney. There, my wife's got a question for you. Yes. Yeah. The, if they don't put out heat, you need to switch over. I can tell you, Jill, what to put in, which is a direct vent insert to get it to put it, produce a whole lot more heat. But yes, even when you're using gas logs, chimneys should be checked on an annual basis. That's a, that's a recommendation of national fire protection association. Same for all heat, gas, heat, those type of things. Yeah. I won't even turn them on because I can't seem to find a chimney sweep in my area. I don't know anybody that knows anybody over here either. Yeah. How far are you from Columbus again? About an hour. Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's some good companies out in Columbus. I'm sure there's some people out there. Yeah. Well, I, and I ha- honestly, I haven't spent a lot of time looking, but um, simply because they're they're they don't put out heat. So well, you just point? got the wrong, you've got the wrong apparatus in your fireplace. Sometimes you want to talk about it. I can tell you what to install to get heat out of your fireplace like that. That's some of the things we do, which is assign fireplaces to create more heat into your home. It's awesome, dude. So, so, um, there's another question for you. <laughs> yes, you, know, you can change them back to wood. Okay. So that's, that's good to know. So, so, all right. So in 81, you get into the business. What let's talk about the, the nuts and bolts. Let's dig into the nuts and bolts of it because you don't just start a business. I I think a lot of people go, you know what? They watch field of dreams and they're like, I'll build it and they will come. And, and, and that's not the way it works. Unfortunately, it takes a lot of marketing, takes a lot of work. To, to figure out what, how to get your name out there, et cetera, et cetera. So, and if you became the president of the National Chimney Sweep Association or Guild or whatever it's called, then, then you got your name out there. Like you I'm don't basically, yeah. If you're watching yeah. this show, if you call a local chimney sweep in your market area, unless he's been living under a rock, he knows who I am. That's unbelievable, dude. So, so talk about when you got into the business. Okay. I, I, you know, a lot of times as a business owner, I find myself, um, especially since right now it's my wife and I, and, and our, our VA, um, which I know you don't have a big team anymore. Um, I don't think you do. I mean, I didn't see a big team. Hey, you know this lady right there? No, that's one of the team members. Actually, there are six people that work in the company. Again, they're yeah. all located remotely in other yeah. towns. Yeah. So, so you know, a lot of times as a business owner, you're doing the work, right? You get oh, yeah. the jobs, you're doing the work, you're working with your clients, and then you're like, oh, crap, I forgot to market myself, and I got to go market now. And then, the, you know, and, and it's the it, you get into this cyclical thing how did that when you first got into the business in 1981 and you're you're like okay i gotta call my 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 all my family members and tell them i clean chimneys now (laughs) well actually you know ken marketing a business in 1981 was a whole lot easier than it is today what (laughs) 
Yes, 1981, basically, if you were going to market a home service business, it was going to come through two ways. It was going to be newspaper advertising. You may do some direct mail, but it was also going to be yellow pages. That was the world of 1980. Yep. We didn't know anything True. about data points and those type of things. So my mark, I came up with a, a little bit of genius to mark the business, which was we just, we used a lot of newspaper ads. And we found out, Ken, that there was one page in the newspaper that everybody looked at. Do you have any idea what that page is? Obituaries. Exactly. So what we did, we started putting our ads on the obituary page because That's the brilliant. obituary page, everybody looked at the obituary page. But after about two or three years, then the newspaper said, since we weren't affiliated with the funeral industry, we couldn't advertise on that page anymore. But we had built, that's how I built my business was advertising on the obituary page of the newspaper and yellow page advertising. You gotta remember, there were no websites in those days. Yeah, there was some direct mail coupons, but not like it was in later years. So everybody in those days read the newspaper. You just had to get it where it was a place that people saw. Because you put in the sports page, some people are going to see it. If you put it in the women's section, some people. But we found out the obituary page was this rock solid place to put a display ad back in the early 1980s. That's crazy. So, so that's genius, but that's insane that, that you, you recognize that. So, so how long were you able to run the ads on the obituary page? The obituary page, we were able to run those ads right after I started as a chimney sweep. One of the things that they told us to do was network with places that could that we could get business from such as fireplace shops in those days they were stove shops yeah so what we what we did was we i would go out visit all the local people that sold wood stoves and fireplaces and i walked into one of them's place and he's and i said and i told him what i was doing he said well that sounds good but if somebody will buy this place i'm out of here i'm tired of it i said really so wow. i said so you want to get out i said how much do you want for it and he told me, he said, I'll sell it all for $5,000. What? Said, yeah. He said, I'll sell it, the whole business, 5000 for all the inventory and everything. And you can have this. And that's what I did. So at that point, about six months after we started chimney sweeping, we opened up our first retail store. And we were in the retail business also within about six months after sweeping the first chimneys. So in those days, we were selling wood stoves was a basic product line we sold in our retail operation. Wow. Now, was the name of your company Chim Chimney? No, Ken. The name of my company <laughs> was the Chimney. The name of my chimney sweep company was the Chimney Doctor. And then the name of our, our fireplace shop after a couple of years, as we built that brand became the fireplace, two words, fireplace, the fireplace, uh, the fireplace, Patio and grill was the final name because as we matured, we started going into outdoor living products. We were much more of a, of a widespread retail store. My retail showroom, the last one I had, the building was about 12,500 square feet. And we wow. had about 9,000 square feet of showroom space in my last retail store. So, okay, so I'm just going to say this and and nobody knows where you live except me. But like, dude, I could literally live on your back patio and, and in the backyard. I could just live there. And my wife, 
I know she's on here. She definitely, I mean, we were blown away by your back, your outdoor living space. Like, it's crazy. So you definitely know what you're doing for sure. It is just beautiful. I've never seen anything like it. It's beautiful. Well, like I said, we went into, uh, you know, we went into grills. We went into fireplace. We started going into what's called outdoor living. And from that point, we started a manufacturing business up that was called Islands by Design, which is part of the saga of my life story that we'll talk about here. That yeah. Cheryl, my wife, runs that today. Today it is IBD Outdoor Rooms. But now that is her business. I sold that business to her. When we went through the transition, we had to go through in 2010. But so at one time I had the service business, which was the chimney doctor. Yeah. I had the retail business, which was the fireplace patio and grill. And I had the manufacturing entity, which is islands by design. Okay. Look and what, Jill, look, I really appreciate <laughs> I see that Jill, I really appreciate that because what you saw here, that's the kind of stuff that Cheryl manufactures in her plant today. It's dude, it's, it's, it's like, if Jerry ever invites you to his home, go <laughs> drop everything you're doing, cancel your vacation plans and go. Cause it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. I mean, it's absolutely amazing. Well, I really appreciate that. And like I said, we did that Kim, because when you're self-employed, getting away, going to beaches, going to mountains becomes a real issue. Yeah. So what we decided to do was do exactly what you're saying. We built our own resort right outside our back door. So, you know, we don't have to go anywhere on the weekends. We've got everything here we could enjoy life with. If that makes sense. If, 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 um, and if for anybody that wants some sort of a, a, a reference, if you, if you can't get to Jerry's house and you don't have the invitation from Jerry or Cheryl, um, go to, um, maybe Mandalay Bay and Vegas and look at their pool and all, that, that'll kind of give you an idea of what his place is like. It's just a humble abode. Ken, oh, okay? it's humble. Yeah. That's exactly the word I was looking for. Humble abode. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, so. So you, you, um, you started, uh, let me get back to your story. You started this in 81, you started running newspaper ads, which again, when you're just starting out, that's not something you did probably out of the gates. I wouldn't imagine like uh, maybe yeah, you did. Oh yeah, I did. Oh, right did you? you had to let people know. Okay. Yeah, so what I did, well, you know, we did a lot of classified advertising. Then we went to display advertising. So over the time, you know, like I said, this was before websites and this was back when people read newspapers and those kind of things. And you went to, you know, people looked in the yellow pages to procure services. Right. But do you, did you ever like go knocking on doors or no. any of that? No. no, never did. Wow. Okay. That's, that's a different beast. I've knocked on a lot of doors, but right. so, so you, so you start running ads, you start getting hired and, and you, you, you start doing a lot of business. It sounds like, um, how did this whole transition happen where you then are the president of the national association and, and how did that happen? 
Uh, that happened because I felt that in order to, that an industry that gave me a way to make a living, that I, that I needed to invest back into that industry. So I was heavily involved from committee, uh, committee chair work, from different things, writing technical articles, writing articles in the trade journals. I probably have written more words about chimneys than any pretty in, anybody in existence. I'll still write articles. I've done it for years technical manuals and educational brochures, other things for the different groups that I've worked with over the years. So you just, just happened upon it then? Just happened upon it. You know, I was a person that dedicated myself into it. Uh, you know, I always had, I feel like some leadership uh, abilities. In fact, that's a hard thing when you have a deep personality like I do is actually containing yourself sometimes that your exuberance doesn't blow people out of the, out of the water. So I'm right. a person that actually, and you know, this from the group, I actually hold back a lot in our coaching groups. A yeah. lot of times it's sitting there and I'm thinking, I want to add, but I've, you know, I'm learning to control myself a lot from injecting into discussions and try to build respect by, from other people as you go through your network relationships. Well, and I think, you know, look here at the end of the day, um, it, it's, it's like, um, my buddy Grant Cardone says, he's like, Hey man, if you're not willing to toot your own horn, how do you expect anybody else to do it for you? That's so right. I, I, I think that, um, for those who are watching and don't know you, um, man, dude, you've obviously done something right. And, and, and I think that you have a lot to teach the world. And I, I, I love to hear the wisdom that comes out of your mouth. And I think a lot more people need to hear that. So let's talk about fast forward a little bit to, um, you said there were a lot of, lot of things happened in, in and around 2010. Right. Um, what was that? Okay, so I'm not sure if you're aware, but you know, this country went through a recession about 2007, lasted through about 2010. I know nothing about that. I know nothing about it. So yeah. anyway, this is the difference <laughs> of then and now. A lot of people say, boy, you are loaded. And I just told them, I said, it wasn't a matter that I've got money. It's a matter of, I got really big credit lines. I mean, really big. <laughs> you wanna know how big that my credit was at that point? Uh, the bank actually came to me one day and said, Jerry, you're going to have to take out a life insurance policy and we're going to be the beneficiary because we feel that you're so, the business is so dependent on you that if something happens, we're going to lose. So the bank, and that's when you know that you are in deep financial, you are over obligated. So I had to take out a life insurance policy and it had two commas in it, Ken, just so you're aware of the size of this thing. So what wow. I had to do, that was to keep it in tune. But in 07, 08, we had built a manufacturing business. We were on top of the world. We were actually looking at partnering with other manufacturers, taking our product into the Midwest and the West Coast wow. and actually going on a national level because a lot of the problem is freight. So we had all kinds of things going and everything is going really great. I mean, it's knocking it out of the park, Ken. But in 2009, all of a sudden we had this problem. I could not get the banks to renew my credit lines. Mm. Okay. And if they don't renew your credit line, 
something's going to happen one day. Well, in 2010, and to be honest with you, right in January, all of a sudden I went out to my mailbox one day and I pulled out this stack of letters. And when I say this high, I'm very serious. These were these really thick letters that had 10 pages per letter. They were just stacked on top of each other. And all these were letters where the bank was calling my loans. Oh okay? my God. Right. So the bank told me you got Jerry, you got five days to come up with $1.6 million, $1.6 million. And in 2010, Ken, it was impossible to even get a banker to talk to you in five days. It was that hard. <laughs> so you had that in a shoebox out by the pool, right? Right. You know, like you got this buried in the backyard. You know right. what I'm saying? So what anyway, the there, you know, all of a sudden it's like, you got to be kidding me. And I went to my attorney and my attorney said, hey, this is beyond me. We're going to send you to a guy in Charlotte who is a bankruptcy attorney. And the bankruptcy attorney I went to was also one of the bankruptcy trustees. And so he heard the story and he said, I'm going to write the bank a letter. So I said, he said, I'm, he sent the bank a letter and it said the following, if this bank continues on this path that they're on, you're leaving me no choice, but I will have to put Mr. Eisenhower through bankruptcy. And the bank said, go for it. Go for wow. it. There's no negotiation. As you look deeper, part of this was the bank rulings of the FDIC and the Federal Reserve. Yep. During this period of time, this went on for a couple of years, Ken, and I actually got involved with state senators, excuse me, North Carolina, uh, they're on the federal level and also on the uh, state congressman. And I actually worked with some subcommittees on banks because here's what happens. And a lot of people aren't aware of this, but whenever you sign a credit line with a bank, you are actually giving the bank the right to cross over in the bank and any loan that they have, they can call. So yep. what that, when I had the credit line, they called all of my home loans. They called my auto oh. loans. They called everything. I mean, it was like they, it was all, we were just, you know, we were just shut down and shuttered and there oh. was no way out of this. And like I said, this was the time, one of the things many years ago when Cheryl and I got married and I advise everybody to do this because and a lot of people don't want to, but Cheryl and I have a premarital agreement. And in the state of North Carolina, we are individuals. Okay. We can both buy and property, sell property as individuals. Her business is hers. Mine is mine. So I took the, you know, at this point, we had to let the chimney service business and the retail business go. We lost all of our all of our real estate that was financed through that bank. And I sold her IBD, which is the manufacturing entity, lock, stock, and barrel. That's why today it's not Islands by Design. It's IBD Outdoor Rooms because she had to completely rebrand it. But then what happened was she was challenged by the bankruptcy court that she was covering for me. And we had to go through the bankruptcy court and it took about a year and a half to get the bank to give up on this foolishness that they were going, that she was an individual. We actually went through, we've wow. got some uh, paperwork that was forged other things during this period. It's like I said, I wrote the book chaos to reinvention that I gave you a copy of and chaos to reinvention. So, you'll know, that's my story. What that is, and the reason I wrote this book, Ken, 
was a couple reasons. Number one, it was therapy for me. This was the lowest point in my life, brother. So by putting it down on, in words, I was able to get it out of my mind and talk about it today because I'll be honest with you, 10 years ago, Ken, I'd have broke down crying right at this point. It was that devastating to me. But I was totally wiped out, okay? We lost everything but one house because it was financed at a different bank. So they couldn't cross the other bank Wow. So I had to start over. Okay. I mean, I just had to start over and found out that basically I was, even though I had a lot of technical knowledge, I didn't have anywhere to go. I saw no, no future, man. I was close to let's just blow your stuff away. It's life is over with. Yeah. But then you meet, you know, how can you ever met somebody in life that just can inspire you to move forward? Yep. The, the book's on Amazon, Charles. If you look at Chaos to Reinvention, all my books are on Amazon. It'll be in my Amazon store later today. <laughs> right. So anyway, at this point, that you know, I got an industry award. The next year, the National Chimney Sweep Guild, they decided that they would award me what's called the Lifetime Achievement Award. It only be given one time before in history. And since I had done so much for these groups, they gave me the Lifetime Achievement Award. And my wife actually got me to go to Harper, Connecticut. I didn't want to see anyone else. She said, you need to go. They're going to do something for a friend of yours that had passed away. She knew what was getting ready to happen. So I went to that convention. And on a Saturday night, I got that award. Well, on that evening, the guy told me there had been an old friend and mentor for many years. And he said, I want to have breakfast with you in the morning. I said, sure, be glad to. So we went and sat down. He said, Jerry, what are you going to do now? You've Everything is falling apart. And he shared some of his own story. And I told him, I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. It just doesn't seem like there's anything there. And he, said, and he told me something. He said, Jerry, you need to be a coach. These guys. Mm. And that, again, was what started me on my present day journey. For the first time in two, three years, I had a purpose again. And as I drove back, as Cheryl and I left Hartford, Connecticut, and we drove back to Boston and to fly home because we flew in and out of Boston. Hartford's not far away. Right. And I had this purpose in life again. Now I had something to go after. Even though I had no clients, no income, I was actually collecting unemployment from the state of North Carolina. Still remember this day, I got $423 because when I when my business went down, I actually laid myself off and now I could collect unemployment I'd paid on myself for years. But that wasn't me. So from that point, that's when we decided to start building up our coaching business or actually our coaching business and become a coach. So, dude. I don't think you even know how many parallels there are, how, I mean, you and I will talk about this a little more offline, but um, because we went through some of the same exact stuff mm -hmm. and, and lost, lost our home and, and had to start over back during that recession. Yeah, and, you know, Ken, and, it's like, it's like I often tell people and I call magic moments in life. Okay, yep. magic moments in life are when you run into something and it yep. makes a turning point. And one of the things was, was going to the courthouse steps to watch them auction my home off. Okay. I actually went there. It's like, and the, I remember the attorney who was a trustee for the bank, he said, are you going to make me read this word for word? Yes, sir. If you take in my shit, excuse my French, if you're going to take my stuff, 
you're going to read every word of there word for word because you got to read it to do what you're getting ready to do. Dude, so, okay, <clears throat> let's talk about, though, this moment of clarity. Mm -hmm. I had a very similar situation when, again, lost everything based on a bad business decision I made. Um, started over four years ago, <laughs> and somebody asked me to coach them, and I was like, I, I, I'm, I don't, I, I mean, I don't coach, <laughs> like, like, and, and they convinced me I needed to. And so I, that's where my coaching career started. And let's talk about something. Let's talk about the imposter syndrome. Okay. Because I, I know, I know, I know you well enough to know that you went through imposter syndrome mm -hmm. and, and, Talk about that because I, for the longest time I was like, "Oh my gosh, I I had I had lost everything. What the heck am I going to help people with?" But I forgot that I had all these many many years of experience of winning and losing, and then winning again and losing, and then winning again. And 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 people need need that guidance and they need that accountability that that a, a coach can provide. So, so talk about that. How did you get through the imposter syndrome? Where did it all start for you? Okay. Well, the first thing, and, I, and we share this with every client we get, I want, the, I don't want them to enter in. So when you have failures, and this is one of the, this is one of the teaching of Dr. John Maxwell, which is when you fail, you always fail forward. Yep. So what I do is, is I took all the failings that I've had over these years all those failings. And I've already failed about every way that a client can fail. I mean, I know about what banks can do to you, which is ungodly what a bank can do coming in. There's actually, I can remember going to a hearing at the clerk of court's office when it was in, um, when they were to start, because that's the first start of when they repossess property, you go through yep. a hearing at the clerk of court. And I still remember all these things going on. But what you've got to do is remember, what can you learn from this? And that's what I share with clients. I don't ever want to see a client go through what I went through earlier in my life. I know what it feels like. I know what the pain is. But you know, Ken, this is the funny thing about it. When we look at the inspirational people in our world, Okay. And yep. let's give a person who's probably inspired more people than anyone in the world. And that gentleman was Zig Ziglar. Would you agree with that? Oh, Zig was the least inspiring person I can think of. <laughs> okay. But I love Zig. Right. And, but the whole thing is, and you know, Tom and you know, Julie, and you know, all these Cindy. people. Okay. Yep. Yep. So when you look at it, and this was probably one of the things to hear Julie Norman who is Zig's daughter, tell yep. her story and talk about, you know, the day, you know, it wasn't all roses. I mean, oh my God, no, you know, it, it was a time that, you know, a lot of people may not know this, but Julie shared when she came home from school one day and there was an eviction notice on their door. When yep. you look at it, it's like, I think that was one of the things that one of my coaches is Larry Wingett. And when I first met Larry, he, Larry's on the stage and Larry's talking about his own story of yeah. how he failed in telecommunications and how everything went wrong. And Larry, a lot of people may not know this. Larry Wingett was mowing his, he was mowing his grass for his neighbors. 
He was asking in his neighbors. And Larry came back from that, started teaching sales training in the Tulsa, Oklahoma market area for $75 a session, for $75. And if you look at where Larry Wingett has gone to today, see Larry Wingett, and like I said, he's some of the coaches that we've had and we've worked with have just been inspirations to us. And some it's like Scott McCain. Scott's a friend of yours. Scott's a friend, a coach, a mentor. And when you yeah. go through here, they help you get your points of view and what you've got to be able to do. A lot of people would say, how in the world can you walk in front of a group of people and talk to them like you do about how to be successful with everything that you've gone through? Well, I'm telling you this because I know what it does to fail and I know what was there. Ken, let me ask you a question. What do you think the magic point was for me when I went through all of this crap that I went through 10 years ago? What do, say it again. What do you think the magic point was that I was able from that day forward to deal with this? When the guy told you you need to be a coach? You no, mean? it was actually before that. What happened was when oh. you go, when you go through this, you're mad at the banker. You're ready to take the banker out, buddy. I can still remember meeting him in my business parking lot and giving him the keys of the business. And I blamed everybody in the world. But here's what I found out. I know so what it is now. I got there's it. one person to blame. And that was Can I me. answer? You asked me the question. Let me answer. Go. It's the day you took responsibility for your life. That's it. The day that I took responsibility that I had caused all this crap. I yep. had run a business and it was so easy to get more money from the bank. Yep. It was, I mean, my, my financial standing was such that if I needed $100,000, Ken, all I had to do was call the bank and it was in my checking account that afternoon. Yep. That was, you know, it was no need. We didn't run numbers. We didn't run the data points that we work with clients today. It just, if you needed more, it wasn't a problem. Right. But see, when all this went down, and I can still remember the bankers telling me at that point, which these some of these are very good friends. And I still remember when the Dodd-Frank bill came out in the federal and federal laws. And my banker told me, he said, Jerry, you got to understand something. Equity lending ended today. Equity lending is gone. Because, you know, now in order to borrow the money, you've got to have the cash flow. There's no getting it from promises anymore. You don't right. get it because you've got a business plan. If you're going to borrow money, you better have the you better have the cash to do it. The bank's looking at something called GFC. And a lot of people, you know, that is that is global cash flow. These are the things that we at, that we have learned over this. It's like the Federal Reserve and the you know the FDIC and how they control banks. One of my things was, I actually have a really good friend. My mother was in the banking business, so one of the guys that she trained was a CFO at a bank that I did business with. And I called him one day and I said, "Man, why are the banks doing this?" He said, "Jerry, you've got to understand." The banks are controlled by the FDIC. If we do not follow the guidelines of the FDIC, then they're going to do two things. Number one, they will raise our interest rate. And number two, they will raise the cost of FDIC insurance. That's how the banks control 
the money in this country is through those government regulations. Okay. Yeah. And that's what a lot of people don't understand. That's some of the things I've learned in this from all these downfalls and dealing with states, you know, U.S. senators and congressmen and everything else of how the economy is controlled because the FDIC is controlled by one group, which is the Federal Reserve. Yeah. And the Federal Reserve is only, they are only controlled by the Federal Reserve. Okay. And that, and like I said, we were, we were a casualty of the system. Okay. As the money dried up and the banks no longer had it, you can remember when they talked about the big seven failing, which were the wall street banks and all that kind of stuff. Okay. So, but it's really yeah. deep. And that's why today, like I said, the Dodd-Frank bill that changed lending in America. And that's why be getting the money to start a business today, it's really tough unless you go to private investors. And when you go to private investors, you're going to have problems. It's like, you know, I learned something the other week. Uh, if you ever watched the movie, The Founder about Ray Kroc. Oh my God. What an unbelievable movie. Okay. Well, I, the other week I was taking the trip to Amarillo. So I always download movies on my, on my tablet to watch on the flight. Okay. The yeah. seats are so tight. I can't work on a computer. Yeah. So I, I include it. And it was the founder, the other side. And this was an interview with Dick McDonald. Okay. Which is one of the McDonald brothers. So yeah. what they did, they, this was a guy, they got interviewed Dick. And in this thing, I, I really learned some things here because they shared that Ray Kroc was the guy that could take McDonald's to the next level. Yeah. And they knew he could take it to the next level. So they had to figure out how would they profit from this? So what they did is they told Ray Kroc, okay, we, he wanted to buy McDonald's. They said, okay, here's the deal. $3 million cash, no terms, $3 million cash. Ray Kroc didn't have the $3 million. So Ray Kroc went and borrowed the money and you can, and he went to college endowment funds. Okay. So Ray Kroc, what Dick McDonald said was Ray Kroc borrowed $3 million. He had to pay $18 million to pay it back with the interest that it accumulated. And what, what do you think Dick and his brother did with the three million? I have no idea. They invested it in Ray Kroc's corporation. Oh. They got filthy rich <laughs> off of Ray Kroc what he was doing. And yeah. I never knew that from looking. When I looked wow. at the founder, it was like Ray Kroc had taken them to the cleaners. Yeah, they came out very good. I can still remember. He had owned their name. They couldn't do this. Yeah. But really get that, get that movie, the interview with Dick McDonald. It will really open what's, your eyes. What's the name of it? What's the name of it again? It's the founder two or something like that, Ken. I really don't remember it, but okay. yeah, I found it on Amazon and I okay. it was one of the free downloads under a prime. And yeah. I just, you know, I like to watch documentary, documentaries. Yeah. Educational. What, yeah. I think, and I think that, you know, like Ted, um, I don't know if I'm saying Ligel, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, but he said he started a recycling company because he was mad at the garbage company refused to take his garbage because he was in the hospital and couldn't afford to pay them at the moment. Best decision I ever made. And that's, that's where people don't, people don't realize that, um, that, that, so many businesses are are created out of uh, out of bad situations. 
It really does. It's like it's like someone that goes becomes self. Like I said, in myself, I was never intended to be employed by other people. Ken, I mean, you've met me. Would you like to supervise me? I mean, really no. think about it. No, no, that would be like <laughs> you supervising Gittimer or somebody else. It's next to impossible. It's, it's like trying a, to herd cats. Yeah, that's going to be a lesson in futility. So when you look right. at it, I had a lot of sideline businesses while I worked in the printing business. I had a lawn care business, a lot of different things I did, but I knew that I wasn't. So this is what people got to do. It's like one that you know what really ticks me off today, Ken, and this may offend some people on here. If it does, I'm sorry. But when somebody tells me I can't find a job, my, my answer is create your job. Stop looking for someone else to provide you a job. And it's like somebody comes up to me. It's like, guys, you have no idea. Uh, I, I can remember back in 2010, Ken, I'd look at a pair of shoes and it's like, you know, I need another pair of shoes. And guess what? Ain't no getting no new shoes. It was that bad during that period of time. I, I mean, it was I really get unreal. It. I get it, dude. I, I think, uh, again, it's the... It, you know, a lot of people want to know what it takes to become really successful and to break through the the crap that's holding you back. And, and you know, you were in that position and I've been there. Like I've been there where it's like, I don't know which way is up. You don't know. You get depressed. You talked about that. You, you, you don't, you, you become paralyzed in fear. You don't answer your phone because you don't know who's going to be on the other end. And, you know, all of those things that happen and, and you're like, <clears throat> and then something, some one day just flips in you and, and, and all of your praying, I don't know if you prayed or not, but during, during those rough times, man, I spent a lot of time praying saying, come on, God, I need an answer here. What do I do? Well, Ken, you got to look to a higher power to be honest with you. That's what we need. You got to look to a higher power. Now, yeah, I'll be honest with you. You met my higher power. Okay. And the reason I say that you've met my wife. Okay. Yep. Yep. And whenever all this went on, I could still remember. She said, Jerry, whatever you decide to do, I'm behind you. That's and when awful. you got that, Ken, you got to go. You can't yep. sit there on our haunches. And I see people that do that and they sit there and they just wait because, you know, they just waiting for somebody <clears throat> to drop something in their laps. And, yeah. it, and it doesn't fall like that. It, it really doesn't. I mean, no. like I said, when you come to the realizations, when you come to the realizations of what it is that got you here, because, you know, there's an old saying, what got you here is not going to get you there. And that's also what we go through in our coaching business all the time. We are working every single day to offer more and more services to the people that we do. And one of the things that I love to do, and I'm different from most people, Ken, and, you know, it's one of the things is if I can help people, it's like in the group that we're in, the Grow Live Academy. You know, there's a lot of things that we do, and I'll be more than happy to share them with anyone that's in that group about how to put together the live streaming classes that we do, how we have built a powerhouse online 
subscription platform of courses. You know, it's really funny when you said what it was it to be successful back in the eighties, when I look at my online platform and I got over 760 courses today to make a successful person in the chimney service industry, 760 courses. And we're still growing it all the time. It's amazing, dude. Absolutely amazing. And it sounds like you teach a lot of grassroots stuff too. You know, I, 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 and I'm of the same, like, I'm sure you've been through this <clears throat> and, and for anyone, any of the, the youngsters listening, <laughs> listen, listen up. <clears throat> How many people have sat down across from your desk to interview for a job and hand you this fancy schmancy resume <laughs> that's like, wow, man, you're qualified to just, I, you know what, you're, you're, according to your resume, I don't even need to be here. You can run this joint. <laughs> and yet they weren't what their resume said. No, and, and, and I think that I learned pretty quickly after owning a bunch of businesses over the years that it doesn't really matter what a person's resume says. And, and it's, it's who that person is. So talk a little bit about what you look for when it comes to bringing people on your team. What, what are, what are you looking for? What do you, what, what, what do you look for? Positive okay. and negative. Right. What we're looking for is people that legitimately want to help others that legitimately want to see. It's like, I tell a lot of people, I'm going to explain to you what I'm looking at when I look at my clients when I look at my clients, what I want to see is there's a blank wall over here right now, Ken, from where I'm sitting. It's just a white sheetrock wall sitting there, drywall. And right there, if I look up there and I say, okay, that's my clients, what it is, they're all trophies. And the biggest pleasure that we have is watching these clients climb and get and live their dreams, turning their business dreams into their business realities because yeah. their business exists for one reason, Ken. And the reason they exist is, is to bring them the things in life that they want, to bring them the things that they want to do, to deliver them. Now, what they do with that, that's going to pin what it is. And everybody's got those things of what they want to do. It was like, you know, you interviewed uh, Tommy Mello. I connected you up with Tommy Mello a couple months ago. Awesome dude, by the way. Awesome. And when you look at it, the amount of energy that Tommy has is unreal. But I interviewed Tommy last week on my tips and tactics show. It's going to be on the podcast. And in this, it was like Tommy said, you know, one of his goals is to become a philanthropist because he thinks he can do a better job spending money to help others than our government can do. And I honestly believe that when you look at it and the waste that goes on in this world yep. today and in most businesses. And see, that's some of the concepts we teach, which are lean processes, tracing your waste, because a lot of people don't understand what the cost of sales is to compensate for the waste. Even in a business like yours or mine, any waste that you have has to be compensated by say by the sales yeah. and the amount of sales that goes on. And this is, this is the thing that we teach a lot of times. It's like, if you're going to compute this, well, if you have a, if you've got a company that comes up at the end of the year and we'll say it's at a 5% net profit, which isn't real good for small business, it should be 15 to 20% to be honest with you. Yeah. But if you're only at 5%, that means you've got to multiply the waste by 20. 
So for every dollar of waste, you got to come up with $20 in sales to compensate for that. Yep. And that's, that's what people need to understand about business is how much money is lost due to wasted time, wasted energy, wasted materials, all these other things. And these are the things we work with people on. And you, uh, I want to, I want to find it real quick. Hang on. I, I want to, um, you have a free gift for anybody watching. They don't even have to, you don't, they didn't even have to, you don't have to enter an email address. You don't is, have to. If you get this, Ken, I don't even know you got it. Okay. So right. if you show this, I want anybody that's watching this to know this is not part of a click funnel. It's not, you're not, a, you're yeah. not looking to get people in your funnel. I, I already clicked it and opened it. It's amazing. It's a, it's a book that you're offering. And I, I also want to, I want to show what Ted legal said, because I did get to meet your amazing wife. Um, and Cheryl is amazing. He says any person in business needs to find a way to include their spouse because like a marriage, a business runs better with someone who believes in you always in your corner. Ted, I don't think a truer sentence has ever been typed. I, 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 I 1000% agree with you. Right. And you know, that's the neat thing about Cheryl, my wife. Okay. There's the link. Please feel free. There is no click funnel here, folks. It's, it opens directly to the book and it's pretty cool. Actually, you made me go, okay, now I need to look into this designer.co. Yeah. So, so go ahead, keep going. Okay. So anyway, like you said, my wife, you've met her Yep, is unreal. This woman runs a factory. Okay. She has a manufacturing company that she runs and her daughter and her son are both involved in the company, but she's also is a certified coach under the Ziegler brand. She's also a disc assessor. She works in my business and she also hires for approximately 20 companies around the country that she does their interviews by virtual means. I mean, you know, and you look at my, we're both retirement age. We both, neither one of us have any desire to retire, sit back on the rocking chair. That's just not us. And when you look at that, that's a phenomenal person. And like I said, I have to keep going because Ken, I can't disappoint that woman because of the faith she's put in me all these years. Dude, that's so awesome, man. That's so awesome. And y'all make a, you make a great team. You make a great couple. Let me, I, we're all, I can't, cannot believe we've been on here an hour and five minutes already, dude. So, okay. so let, let me ask, let me ask you this question. These, these are, I ask these questions of every guest. Number one, in your opinion, what do you think is holding people back in life from, from true financial success? And, 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 you know, people are like, well, money's not everything. Yes, it is. <laughs> My, it, well, no, it's uh, what's what Zig said. He said, uh, money's not everything, but it sure does um, rank up there with oxygen. <laughs> right. right. So, um, you know, what do you think holds people back from financial success and real happiness in life? Fear of failure. Fear of failure. Now, like I said, we, I told you earlier, Cheryl and I have a premarital agreement. 
And the reason we had a premarital agreement was looking ahead. We had both been married previously in life. What if this didn't work out? We decided at the time we got married that if something happened between us, we wanted to remain friends and we didn't want to have this breakup and dividing the assets and all this other thing that's involved in so many divorces. So looking ahead and what it was, we later on found out this was a great, if we had not had that, we couldn't have come back. I couldn't have sold her the factory or anything else. But by having that premarital agreement, so, but what, what it is, is it's fear of failure. When you look at it, so many people have their fears and they just, they're so scared they're going to fail that it's not failure. It's more the fear of failure. It's almost like a snake sitting there ready to bite you. If you make this step and you've just got to come out of that comfort zone and you're going to have to walk. Sometimes it's going to feel like you're walking on glass. Yeah, it truly does. I mean, I can get in front of a group of people and I've talked to some very large groups of people. But again, when I go on stage, Ken, I'm psyching myself up to go on to that stage to get ready to knock it out of the park. Okay. Where I'm going to deliver a message that if you've heard me today, and this is what I hope in this broadcast today, that people that have looked at this will say, you know, I remember that guy that was on Ken Wall's show. There used to be a chimney sweep. I may not know his name. That's immaterial to me. But if, if my message today of what we're sharing with people will entice them, will get them and enthuse them to move forward, that's what I love to see, Ken. I really, truly do. And, but it's it's fear of failure. You know, back in um, 2010-ish, um, Jill and I opened up our very first office together and um, for the biz for our, for our company, which we do website development and, and marketing and, and all that stuff. But um, we open up an office and this one day, a guy that worked for me comes walking in and he says, Hey, there's a guy out there in the parking lot looking in the windows of your SUV. And I'm like, why are you telling me, dude, you're bigger than I am. Go out there and kick his ass or something. Tell him, get out of here. Um, the Dan says the link I posted won't work. That's, that's the only link I have. It worked for me. Um, but so he's, he, he goes, well, I would, but he's, he's, um, he's, he's, he's got it blocked with his, with his, uh, tow truck. And I was like, oh, God. So all my employees were getting paid except for us. We weren't getting paid. And and um, so the guy was there to repossess my vehicle. And I know you went through a lot of stuff. Dude, let me tell you, repossession of vehicles. I can still, when we were going through this and my son was at a house Phil, Phil Sorrentino said it worked for him, by the way. So it's, okay, it's working, gonna, Dan. I don't know. It's okay, working. I'm going to post it into the chat bar. Try that. Did that. See if that works for you. But it's like, that's, that's the same. That you just put, that's the private chat to me. So um, I, I'll post it again, but it, it works. It okay. works. So. so anyway, my son was in a house in Charlotte doing a service call. And when he came out, his truck, service truck was hooked up to a wrecker. The bank took it out of the customer's yard, left my son stranded at a house, okay, and lift off. 
and took it back. It's like, I called the bank. Wait a minute. You got all my tools. You don't own my tools. And my son had money in there. So we need to know where you've taken my truck to so we can get our tools out and all the other stuff. Then from that point, we had a fleet. They started, they got the guys to chase us down. Going to repossess our trucks. Okay. So there's one guy used to park one of the wreckers. I called them stealth wreckers. He was parked behind our <laughs> lot that was fenced in and sitting there waiting till we weren't looking. In fact, I devised a way if you want to prevent your car from being hooked up by a wrecker and stolen, this is how you do it. What you do is you take the steering wheel, listen to me carefully. You take the steering wheel and turn it as far to the right as you can. You take a chain and run from the steering wheel down to the brake pedal. And that way, if they take off, it just goes sideways into whatever you're parked beside. Okay. Oh, I mean, these are uh, but see that, that, but you know, 2020 brought a lot of problems for a lot of people. And I think, um, you know, I mean, dude, the, the suicide rates went up and, you know, people are freaking out over everything they're seeing on the news. And, um, you know, what do you say to somebody that, that if somebody called you and said, you know, Jerry, I've tried everything and, and nothing's working. I'm out of money. I can't pay the electrics getting shut off tomorrow can't pay my, 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 my car was towed last week. Like, like what, what do you say to somebody that's at the very end of their rope and they have no hope at all? Okay. First thing I'm going to say, tell me more of what's been happening. Tell me how you got into this situation. And at that point, we're going to start digging down to see what are the skills that they can use? What can they go to work with? You're talking to a guy that mowed grass to make a living. You're looking at a guy that did all kinds of things. I have actually had a pickup truck, went down the road, picking up metal on the side of the truck, on the side of the road, taking it to the scrapyard, uh, battery recycling, all those kind of things. Guy told me one time, said, you can, if you got a pickup truck, you can make a living. So what you got to do is look at what's the potentials you can go with. I mean, it's like in today's world, Ken, if you, you know, in today's world, you can market a business in social media and all it takes is time and discipline. Yep. And so many people will not put that discipline in. I mean, it's like right now, you and I are talking to anybody in the world that wants to listen to us. Yep. And you're not paying a dime to broadcast this out through these channels that it's going over. And so many people won't take the time to do that. Yep. It's even more amazing that people that will spend big bucks for marketing and will not do the things that we would call guerrilla marketing for so easy. You just got to find the path and you, it's just those magic words of getting through to that person, but you just got to get your butt up. My wife just said it. You never, ever give up. And when you see her on here, folks, I could tell you stories and she could share stories about never giving up and how often you're up against the wall, but you just got to come out of it, brother. You got to pick yep. your own butt up. Nobody, if you're waiting on somebody to pick your ass up, stop it. You got to stop it. You got to pick your own butt up and you got to go to work and invest. It's like, you know, I got, um, be, be glad to be a guest, Tom. Anytime, just get in touch with me. It was like when I started coaching, there was a guy that came into our factory and he would, it was a friend of ours and he would always come in. I never knew what he did for a living. And I was going into coaching at that time. And he said, I, I finally came in one day and I said, man, tell me what you do for a living. He said, well, you probably wouldn't understand it. I said, well, try me anyway. He <laughs> said, well, I'm a coach. 
I said, really? Tell me more. And he pulled out a book. And this is why I wrote book. I started writing books. He pulled out a book that he gave me because all coaches got to write a book. Okay, that's part of the ball game. You got to write books and those kind of things like that. But anyway, his coaching business had bottomed out on him in the recession. And I told him what I was doing in Stenning Started. And as I talked to him, he was a certified business coach. Okay, well, maybe we can do something together. So I started talking to him and getting him going. And it's like, okay, this is what we can do. And I'll bring you into this. Right. And after a while, he just wasn't producing. And I said, one day I asked him, I said, man, what is going on? You were supposed to do this and this and this for the website and nothing's happening. And he said, I just don't understand you one bit. I said, what don't you understand? He said, you ain't got the first client, not the first one. And you get up every morning and come into this office and work your tail off all day long. I don't understand it. And I said, you know, if you don't understand that, then we have no future together. You have no business in this with me and we're part and company right now. That makes sense. Dude, I, I think that people don't understand what business owners, entrepreneurs go through. We, we work 16, 18 hour days with no promise of like, it, it always blows me away. The people I, I got to have this huge base salary and I got to have this. And I, I'm like, <laughs> I mean, okay, Ken, let me, let me throw you a point out here. Hey, I want you to pretend right now that you need someone to run your company and you're talking to me yeah. and I want you to ask me the following question. What type of salary are you looking for? Me? Yeah. For me. No, for me. Uh, you're looking oh. to hire me. Hey, Jerry, what type of salary are you looking for? Ken, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come to work for you for the next 30 days. And I'm not going to draw a salary. You're not going to owe me a dime because in 30 days, I'm going to show you how you cannot exist and move this company forward. So in 30 days, what we're going to do is we're going to sit down and we're going to talk about my compensation, but only after I've proven my value to you. Now, how would that mean if somebody came to you yep. or to someone else out there that said that? Yep. See right there, I'm disabled and in a wheelchair since my late 20s. If I can do it, you can too. It's like earlier this week, there was a guy on Facebook. I saw him that had no arms, Ken, and he was chopping wood, okay, with no arms. There's a real renowned public speaker that goes on stage. I can't remember his name. He has no arms, no legs, and he is a very inspirational speaker when he yep. goes on stage. His name space. is Nick. Nick, um, I forget his his last name's hard to pronounce. So yeah, I, I but people just got to get off their rear ends and decide I'm going to win. No one else can block me from winning but me. I got to get my butt up. I'm gonna get up and I'm going to make it happen every yep. single day. It's kind of like this, you know. And the other day when you and when you and Jill were here. I gave her one of these, told her yep. that's hers, not you. And that is our, that's a ground, stuffed groundhogs. Yeah. And we came up with this years ago when I first started coaching. 
And the whole idea of the groundhog is we took this from the movie Groundhog Day. And But if you do the same stinking thing every day and expect different results, that's a definition of insanity. Yep. And that's why we give all of our clients that, you know, that stuff, stuff, Chucky right there because yep. he's cute and all that. But also groundhogs that I used to tell people I'd be getting on a plane, going to groundhog, going to wipe them out. Got an infestation of groundhogs up in New York. So I'm heading up to knock out this infestation of groundhogs. Wow. Dude, I, I, by the way, uh, Susan Whitehurst is on. She, Hey, Susan, his book, this one here, Chaos to Reinvention, it's now in, I have it pinned on the personal uh, Facebook page. It's also now in my Amazon store. You can get it over at KenWalls.shop um, on my Amazon store. Well, here you go, Ken. You got to add all the rest of them to it. Okay? I know, dude. I'm We're pretty proud of that. I mean, I might have to create are... a separate page just for you and your wife's books. You have 13 books between the two. 13 you? books between us. Like I said, I wrote seven and she's wrote six and we're still keeping going. We're still doing and writing more books. I got one right now. I've got an editor that works with me. And a lot of people think about that. They don't understand. Now that's Brandy right there. Chuck. Uh, Ken, Brandy is one of my coaches. She's based in Kansas city, uh, Missouri, Kansas City, Kansas. So that's Brandy Biswell on there right now. Yeah. And she's a she's a very important member of our team right there. That's so Brandy, awesome. I appreciate you being on there today. That's awesome. Phil says only thing more overrated than natural childbirth is the joys of owning your own business. Well, but at the same time, Ken, if you can do this, if you, you know, everybody's not intended to own a business. Everybody is not an, an entrepreneur. Everybody doesn't fill that role because it takes a certain drive and yep. it takes someone that can meet adversity and get up. And yep. being able to have those behavior patterns to do those kind of things to help people. Yep. And, you know, that's what you're going with, you know, and you look at it, like I said, that's like Tommy Mello that I hooked you up with. Tommy Mello is a guy that is just knocking it out of the park. It is unreal. But see, it's when you look unreal at it, what he's he doing. Is. And, but when you look at it, what is Tommy Mello? He's figured out what he's good at. He's figured out what he's not good at. He is a great yep. implementer. Uh, and he, he gets, he gets, I'm excuse me. He's a great visionary and he yeah. gets great people to be his implementers, his integrators within the business. Yep. Tommy is a, is a, if you haven't seen that interview I did with Tommy, wow, it's amazing. Check it out. So Jerry, I look, man, thank you for being on here, sharing your your wisdom, your your hope, your your um your drive. And for those that don't know, Jerry, what was it about two months ago you had a heart attack? January twenty January twentieth, sitting here at the house and yeah, but hey, I'm doing great, Ken, you know, and I think the real inspiration in that was how many people, and they're still doing it, reaching out, say, Jerry, you're okay, and all that, and I think when people see me, they're expecting to see a guy that's all drawn up, and really, hey, I'm doing great, it's probably, it was an eye-opening thing, was yeah. it scary, you better believe it, uh, don't, is it something I recommend, no, I don't recommend that one for nobody, no. but again, it was a, I think it really shocked you when I came into your grow live call from a hospital bed when I was the night, the <laughs> night. Okay. 
everybody watching, I have the Grow Live Academy. Jerry's a member. Jerry's referred several people over. And 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 I have a weekly coaching call on Thursday nights where we talk about going live and how to grow your business and all this stuff. And 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 the night, the night that Jerry had his heart attack. So he had it on Thursday morning and Thursday evening at 8 p.m. Eastern. Jerry is on the Grow Live coaching call from his hospital bed. I was like, dude, what in the world are you doing? So, so that's what he's talking about. That's what we're talking about. Like the, the drive that it takes to win in your life and in your business and never giving up no freaking matter what is what Jerry is all about. And Jerry, I love you like a brother, man. You are, you are, you're an inspiration. My wife just said it. You're, you're, what a, what a great interview. You're such a great man and a great mentor to so many people, man, including me. So thank you for that. I appreciate it, Ken. I appreciate it more than you know. And like I said, the big thing is here, most people, so everybody's aware you're not my client as a rule because I work in certain niches. Okay. Yeah. And that's not my purpose in being here today. It was a real high honor when you said, Hey, will you want to be, I'd love to have an interview one day. It's all about if we can share something here that can make a difference in your life to help you get where you're wanting to go. To yeah. Help you get there. That's what this was all about. And so I appreciate you being here. And Ken, I want you to know it's an honor and it was a privilege and a pleasure to be able to be on here with you today. I'm honored that you were here, dude. You're you're an amazing guy. So thank you. I appreciate you. Thank you to everyone who's watched and heard this out. <clears throat> and um, Ted, thank you for being here, man. I appreciate you. Susan, S Susan is Weldon Whitehurst's wife and and he just had a liver transplant it sounds like he's doing great so that's great news praise god so listen thank you so much i appreciate you hang with me though here jerry i'm going to end this thank you to everyone who's watched and shared it out though we'll see you all tomorrow have a great day thank you jerry thank you sir appreciate it again see you guys